You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, thank you for coming. This is the last round of last lap here, using an old track metaphor there. So it's been a lot of fun, and I appreciate y'all coming. Somebody, there's, there's a whole bit of former students. It's been neat seeing former students coming. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to change things a little bit. I wasn't going to do the river in Parker's back, uh, but uh, Gil got me thinking about Revelation, so I'm, I think I'm going to do that and maybe talk a little about the river, but uh, see how much I can squeeze in here. Well, this first one's Parker's back, and this is unusual even for Flannery it's, <laughs> uh, with, with the tattoos, but that's one thing that's changed in my lifetime. I'm used to when I, tattoos were kind of an unusual thing on guys, like start out with sailors and stuff, and then it's just gone more and more mainstream, and then they never see girls with tattoos, and then it's just like, it's just standard, you know, you go out on the beach, and it's just, uh, it's tattoos there, so it's not quite as strange as it was. Think about the ti- what the title means, okay, it's called Parker's Back, uh, R apostrophe S there, okay, uh, Anybody ever read The Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury's collection of short stories? And the guy's got tattoos all over his body. And so beginning of a new short story, you just kind of rotate and you see a new tattoo. And that's the central symbol <laughs> in one of the stories. So it's kind of kind of original here. Okay, so anyway, Parker, the, Parker is married when the story picks up. The skin on her face was thin and drawn as tight as the skin of an onion. And her eyes were gray and sharp like the points of two ice picks. Now, are we going to like her or not? I mean, it, ta- it takes Flannery one sentence. to says, no, this is not a pleasant person. Uh, she was pregnant, and pregnant women were not his favorite kind. <laughs> so it's just things are not going well for Parker here, all right? Uh, in addition to her other bad qualities, she was forever sniffing up sin. She did not smoke or dip, drink whiskey, use bad language, or paint her face. And God knew some paint would have improved it. <laughs> Nobody quite like Flannery, is there? Sometimes he supposed that she had married him because she meant to save him. Look for the irony. She's very, very religious. And he is not religious at all, he thinks. But it's just going to be, the things going to work out the opposite is the way it looks. Anyway, this ugly woman Parker married was his first wife. I hope that kind of means he got married later in the story. He had other women, but he had planned never to get himself tied up legally. He had first seen her one morning when his truck broke down on the highway. Now, one more time. What are the three key words we need to know? If, if you understand these three words, you can read anything Flannery O'Connor ever wrote. Mystery is what? It's a pop quiz. Mystery of God's grace, right? That's the theme of her stories. Somebody receives grace in every one of her stories. And how do we know who receives grace? They're linked with peacocks or tree line, okay? And then manners is the synecdoche or the part staying for a whole for the south, and that's her setting. But again, you, you put your feet somewhere, but if you're any good, you're talking about mankind, people. So, but anyway, her story's set there in Georgia. And so then the, uh, the uh, grotesque is her style. And as that sheet says, for the hard of hearing you shout, and for the almost blind you paint large and startling figures. She said, we have seen so much wild, crazy, violent stuff that she has to be really downright just crazy to get our attention so that she can get us to read her story and get a religious message across. As in with Holga, you've got an overweight woman with a wooden leg, 
up there having her wooden leg uh, stolen from her up there in a hayloft on a date with a bi- traveling Bible salesman who has hollow Bibles. I mean, nobody could think of that stuff except Flannery O'Connor. It's just, she's unique, the only one. Okay, so anyway, um, let's see, uh, a, a woman he could not see was either nearby beyond a clump of honeysuckle or in the house watching him out the window. So he's, he, Parker's truck is broken down. Suddenly Parker began to jump up and down and fling his hand about as if he'd mashed it in the machinery, he doubled over his hand to his chest and he starts, you know, get some pretty wild language for her. GD, Jesus Christ in hell, Jesus Christ, oh my, God dang it. And, you know, I'll clean it up a little bit. Okay. Without warning, a terrible, briskly claw slammed the side of his face and he fell backwards on the hood of the truck. You don't talk no filth here, a voice said to him. Parker's vision, now look at the diction, okay, visual religious connotations. As his sight cleared, he saw before him a tall, raw-boned girl with a broom. So this is all a flashback. This is how he met his wife, okay. I hurt my hand. Every space on the skin of Parker's arm from wrist to elbow was covered in some loud design. So he's got tattoos all over him. And, uh, and so he starts talking about where he got his tattoos. And she said, don't tell me. He says, you ought to see the ones you can't see. So he's kind of flirting with her a little bit. She's not interested in that. Parker was 14 when he saw a man in the fair, tattooed from head to foot. Except for his loins, which were girded with a panther hide, the man's skin was patterned um, with a single intricate design of brilliant color. When the show was over, he had remained standing on the bench. Young Parker had standing where the tattooed man had been until the tent was almost empty. So there's that kind of there's the grotesque. There's the the freak and the fair. Okay, um, Parker never before felt the least emotion of wonder in himself until he saw the man at the fair. It did not enter his head that there was anything out of the ordinary about the fact that he existed. So this begins his quest for religion. And a 14 year old boy at the fair seeing this tattooed man, he starts wondering. Part in, and, and he becomes a sailor later. In port, Parker wandered, wandered about comparing the rundown places he was in to Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> so uh, she worked us in just for this course, right? <laughs> Whenever a decent sized mirror was available, he would get in front of it and study his overall look. He's always just looking at his tattoos. The effect was not of one intricate arabesque of colors, but of something haphazard and botched. A huge dissatisfaction would come over him. So like Walker Percy, we're just talking about, he's on a search. The big word in, in Walker Percy is the quest, the quest for faith and, to, and how to get out of the malaise. You're depressed. You don't know why you're depressed and you're trying to, you're searching for God. Okay. And his search for God is coming about through these tattoos. Okay. But he's unhappy. He's, he's covered with tattoos, but none of them satisfy him. So he starts showing off his tattoos to his, you know, to the, his future wife. And he says, he says, which one do you like best? This is, you know, when they first met. And she says, none of them. <laughs> but the chicken's not as bad as the rest. What chicken? She pointed to the eagle. That's an eagle. Okay, she does not know birds. So what do we know about her? If she doesn't know birds, she's not going to know what bird. 
peacocks. Okay, so you scratch her off. But we knew that from like the ice picks, eyes like ice picks. Okay, even Flannery couldn't save her, right? So she asked, what's your name? And he said, O.E. Parker. When the name leaked out in the Navy files, Parker narrowly missed killing the man who used it. He, he hates that name. Okay. She insists, tell me your name. Okay. Oh, I have got a guest here. Okay. Obadiah Olahu is his name. Can you throw that in? Can you shed some light here? A little pop quiz. Obadiah Olahu, do you remember any of that stuff here? Is that two out of the blue? Anybody? Okay. Okay. I hate when I'm called on Christ. I, when I did that, what's your name? I don't know. I'm just uh, but Obadiah, Hebrew Bible, worshiper or servant of Yahweh is what the name means. It's used of at least 11 different people, including a prophet. Elihu was a young man who claims divine inspiration, but who chiefly repeats what others have said. So through his name is hinting at that, you know, he's the one, he's got faith, religion in him. He's just got to find it where it is. Marriage, so they get married, okay? <laughs> they got up to that wonderful start with that first date. Marriage did not change Sarah Ruth a jot, and it made Parker gloomier than ever. Every morning he decided he had enough and would not return that night. Every night he returned. <laughs> Whenever Parker couldn't stand the way he felt, he would have another tattoo. See the frustration. There's that, that Walker Percy quest. And he's just, if you're unhappy, then slap another ta tattoo on, right? But the only surface left on him now was his back, okay? So be thinking about that title, Parker's Back, all the different things that can mean. To see a tattoo on his back, he would have to get two mirrors. And this seemed to Parker a good way to make an idiot of himself. So he's, he's got one last little blackboard there, and that whiteboard, and that's his, his back. He was already losing flesh. He just got married, and he's losing weight. Imagine that. Sarah Ruth just threw, she just threw the food in the pot and let it boil. <laughs> Does it? That sounds like her. So anyway, one day, okay, after they'd been married a while, he was bailing hay out in a, on her broken drown, and an old woman's, he's doing some work for a neighbor, on her broken down tractor in a large field, okay? And then all at once he saw the tree reaching out to grasp him. A ferocious thud propelled him into the air, and he heard himself yelling in an unbelievably loud voice, God above! He landed on his back so the tractor turns over. Okay? While the tractor crashed upside down into the tree and burst into the flame. Ooh, so we've got a burning bush, right? Okay. The first thing Parker saw were his shoes quickly beaten, being eaten by the fire. So in your present, the burning bush, you take, have to take, remove your shoes, right? Okay. So she's working the Bible in here, but nobody works the Bible in like she does, right? And uh, one was caught under the tractor. The other was some distance away, burning by itself. He was not in them. He could feel the hot breath of the burning tree on his face. So he's, he's like in the presence of God here. God's coming to get him, right? He just doesn't know it. He had known how, if he had known how to cross himself, he would have done it. He doesn't even know how to make a cross here. Uh, let's see. So anyway, he only knew there'd been a great change in his life, a leap forward into a worse unknown, and there was nothing he could do about it. So he knows, I'm changed. I just don't know how I'm changed. So, okay, he's frustrated, doesn't, looking for answers. Where, where does he go? Tattoo parlor, right? Get another tattoo. He's just trying to 
trying to, he's, he feels that void inside himself. And the only way he knows now to fill that spiritual void is to slap on another tattoo. So he's in there getting tattooed, whatever pinky or whatever's left. And the artist looked at him another moment as if he were not altogether sure. He said, you've fallen off some. <laughs> like you've gotten skinny. You must have been in jail. Married. Oh, <laughs> there's a lot in that one syllable. Okay, I, I get it. And so anyway, so the artist says, so what are you, who are you interested in? Saints, angels, God, Father, Son, or Spirit? Just God. Christ, they're the swearing, but it's a double entendre. Okay, the swearing becomes... He's looking for Christ, and Christ is looking for him, right? I don't care, just so it's God. Just, just put God on me, okay? So he's going to tattoo God on his back, okay? The only place that's got left. Parker returned to the picture that he's shown possibilities. The, ha- the haloed head of a flat, stern, Byzantine Christ with all demanding eyes. He sat there trembling. His heart began slowly to beat again as if it were being brought to life by subtle power. He sees the, he's getting to pick pictures of God, and he sees this Byzantine Christ, and it's like he's just reborn. Any idea why the bit, I'm, I'm above my pay grade here. Mark, jump in, anybody, okay? Catherine, I just, the Byzantine Christ, he was, uh, let's see. Oh, really? Is it two sides? Really? Yeah, I'm thinking, I guess, the one Sinai. Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's interesting because in the story, we're seeing the harsh side and compassionate side. I do have a footnote. Byzantine art, 5th to 13th century. Uh, the usual image of Christ is not the incarnate Messiah, the humble and humane teacher, but the all-powerful ruler enthroned in heaven. Uh, the most famous of them, it's such images in... Um, uh, San Vital Ravenna in the 6th century mosaic. Have y'all seen that? Anyway, uh, so uh, we're going to have a picture of, uh, have a, a Christ picture, but it's a, it's a strong one. It's not kind of a, a meek and mild one. And Flannery once said sometimes, she said, I said, uh, grace must be strong. Uh, to keep up with the kind of evil I can make concrete. And, I mean, it's, she doesn't have, you know, just kind of a, a turn the other cheek type Jesus, but she's got to have a forceful one because she's got some pretty forceful evil characters popping into her stories, right? So anyway, the artist, the artist is putting on the tattoo and he asked, are you saved? And he said, nah, I ain't got used to that. But he's, he, God's getting to him. Then why are you getting this on? He said, I married this woman that's saved. Well, of course, the irony is he's going to be the one saved and she's not one that's not saved, although she thinks she's so religious and he doesn't think he is. She can't say she don't like the looks of God. She said, this is, I'm finally going to find a tattoo that she likes. He's so proud of himself, okay? Anyway, so he, he, Parker sat for a long time on the ground in the alley behind the pool hall examining his soul. He saw it as a spider web of facts and lies that was not at all important to him, but which appeared to be necessary in spite of his opinion. The eyes that were now forever in his back were eyes to be obeyed. He was certain of it as he had never ever been of anything. 
throughout his life grumbling and sometimes cursing, often afraid, once in rapture, religious connotations there for rapture, Parker had obeyed whatever instinct of this kind had come to him in rapture when his spirit had lifted at the sight of the tattooed man at the fair, afraid when he joined the Navy, grumbling when he had married Sarah Ruth. That's his wife there. Okay. So anyway, he gets back home and he's been away for a night you know, after he wrecked the tractor and uh, he went off to get the tattoo. And now uh, he comes to back to his house and he can't open the door because apparently she had placed a, a chair against the doorknob to keep him out. <laughs> he said, let me in. What you got me locked out for? Well, of course, the whole let me in, he's trying to get in to heaven, isn't he, right? And she says, who's there? Like, who else would want to get in her house? Parker turned his head as if he expected someone behind him to give him the answer. The sky lightened some. There were two or three streaks of yellow in the floating above the horizon. Then as he stood there, a tree of light burst over the skyline. He's the one, right? He's the one going to receive grace. This tattooed man. Parker fell back against the door as if he'd been pinned there by a lance. Who's there? The voice said. Obadiah Lahu. He's got to use his real name. Now she wants him to use that. The door opened. You'll have to, she says, you'll have to pay every penny on her tractor. You busted up. She don't keep insurance on it. Trembling, Parker said about lighting the kerosene lamp. It's nighttime. What's the matter with you wasting the kerosene this near this near daylight? She demanded. I ain't got to look at you. God, what a wonderful person. I don't need to see you. And he says, come on, look at it. Don't just say that. Look at it. He takes his shirt off. He's so proud of his new tattoo. I done looked, she said. Don't you know who it is? No. Who is it, Sarah Ruth said. It ain't anybody I know, which is true, right? She thought her daddy was a minister and one of these, you know, a Bible beating people, and he just, but she, uh, she doesn't know God. It's him. Him who? God. God. God don't look like that. What do you know how he looks? You ain't seen him. He don't look, Sarah Ruth said. He's a spirit. No man shall see his face. Anyway, then she grabbed up the broom and began to thrash him across the shoulders with it. Bless his heart. We, we, the story ends just as we began with him getting beaten with their broom. Park was too stunned to resist. I mean, he finally bought her a present that she's going to like, right? It's going to bring God a nice tattoo. And now he's getting beaten with the broom. He sat there, bless his heart, as we say in the South, and let her beat him until she had nearly knocked him senseless. And large welts had formed on the face of the tattooed Christ. She's beating God. She's hitting God. Then he staggered up and made for the door. She stamped up the broom two or three times on the floor and went to the window, still gripping it, she looked toward the pecan tree, and her eyes hardened still more. There he was, who called himself Obadiah Elihu, leaning against the tree, crying like a baby. I mean, poor little kid. He's just kind of like the misfit. He's there just like a, just a, just a scared little boy there. But he's, uh, he's going to be saved. Now, what, about, what does the title mean? 
Parker's back. What different things? His back has the tattoo, of course, right? Parker has come back, hadn't he? Parker is back, right? And uh, Parker's back, and he's uh, he's saved, didn't he? So we've God got him back there, back to religion. Um, and earlier he had turned his back to religion, hadn't he? But now it's found. And so the thing is, the irony is, God's there. God's right there on him. He just can't see him. He just doesn't know him. It's really a pretty cool story that he's got God with him, but he needs a couple mirrors in <laughs> order to see it there. Okay? Well, anyway, I'd like to uh, close out. Let's see. Revelation. That, Gil, I hope you're listening to this, Gil. Okay, this is what Parker's back is one of her lesser known ones, but it's a really good story. This is Revelation, which is uh, kind of an appropriate way to end there. Did you read The River, Jeannie? That's a good one, too. Maybe I can say something. Oh, okay, didn't do your homework. You're better than that. Okay. All right. Well, we started in Revelation, and we started in a, in a doctor's waiting room. Of course, we're all in a waiting room. That's a pretty good metaphor for, for our life, isn't it? All the wait, all the, and we all need healing. We're all in a waiting room for God, and we all need healing, don't we, right? And so Mrs. Turpin is our protagonist, who was very large. Okay, there's nothing. We've seen that before. And she's there with her husband, Claude, who had an ulcer on his leg. There's her use of the grotesque at our attention. He's got a, a bad leg there. And next to her was a fat girl of 18 or 19 scowling into a thick blue book. It was entitled Human Development. And, there, and of course, that's, that's kind of the whole story. We're all trying to, you know, it's all about our human development there. Sometimes Mrs. Turpin occupied herself at night naming the classes of people. On the bottom of the heap were most colored people, not the kind she would have been if she had been one, but most of them. Then next to them were the white trash, then above them were the homeowners, and above them the home and landowners to which she and Claude belonged. Okay, so she's got this superficial hierarchy, kind of like the grandmother, which has to be stripped away from her in a... A good man is hard to find, and to find that some of these superficial ways that she does of, of categorize what a good makes a good person or not has to be stripped away for her to realize uh, what really matters with people there. Okay, all right. So anyway, the look that Mrs. Turpin and the pleasant lady exchanged indicated they both understood that you had to have certain things before you could know certain things. So the mother and Mrs. Turpin were kind of making a bond there about things. As she said it, the raw complexion, and the, and the woman has this daughter who's uh, uh, college age there. A raw complexion, another former student here, a raw complexion girl snapped her teeth together. Her lower lip turned, look at this imagery. You want some more grotesque? This, the girl, her lower lip turned downwards and inside out. I'm not sure how you do that. <laughs> Revealing the pale pink inside of her mouth. After a second, it rolled back up. It was the ugliest face Mrs. Turpin had ever seen anyone make before. To help anybody out that needed it was her philosophy of life, Mrs. Turpin. She never spared herself when she found somebody in need. So even though she's got some superficial view of things, she's got a good heart, right? Whether they were white or black, trash or decent, and all she had to be thankful for was she is most thankful this was so. She's, I'm a good person. She's a little too smug there, right? 
Okay. Anyway, so she starts talking to this other woman and says, well, what's the, what's your daughter's name? Mary Grace. Well, okay. And so we're seeing who's going to get Grace. Mary Grace goes to Wellesley College, the mother said, in Massachusetts. <laughs> the girl looked as if she'd like to hurl them all through the plate glass window. Way up north, Mrs. Turpin murmured and thought, well, it hasn't done much for her manners. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay, now I understand. Makes sense. And so the well -edu most educated person is the least civilized one in the story, right? Okay. Anyway, so her mother's, the, her mother's mouth grew tight and thin. I think the worst thing in the world, she said, is an ungrateful person. Of course, she's talking about her daughter, right? Just veiled a little bit. To have everything and not appreciate it. I know a girl who has parents who would give her anything. A little brother who loves her dearly. Who is getting a good education. Who wears the best clothes. But who can never say a kind word to anyone. Get it? Who never smiles and just criticizes and complains all day long. Is she too old to paddle? Claude asked. <laughs> the girl's face was almost purple. Well, we know about purple. Uh, look around here. All the religious connotations there, right? Okay. If it's one thing I am, Mrs. Turpin said, it's grateful. When I think who all I could have been besides myself and what all I got, she thinks she sells very open-minded stuff, but she still has a little bit, you know, of arrogance and, you know, a little bit of racism and different things there. It's got to be taken away from her. With all I've got, a little of everything, and a good disposition besides, I just feel like shouting, Thank you, Jesus, for making everything the way it is. It could have been different. For one thing, somebody else could have got clogged. At the thought of this, she was flooded with gratitude and a terrible pang of joy ran through her. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. The book struck her directly over her left eye. Mary, Mary Grace has had enough. She is, so, so Mrs. Turpin is attacked by Grace. You see? See that pattern in, in, in Flannery, okay? Someone's there and it's like God comes after you, uh, kind of violently sometimes. I'm gonna get you, right? We talk about C.S. Lewis, you know. Knocking on the roof for somebody. Child, child, let me come in. He, when he decides he's going to get you, he's going to get you, right? Oh, oh, what, what, what C.S. Lewis talk about his, his conversion? He says, I was drawn into Christianity by the hands of a, of a, of an unscrupulous God or something like that. Just a boom. Okay. Enough, enough of this, you know, atheism and all. Come here. You're one of my boys right here. Okay. Oh, oh, so. The book struck her directly over her left eye. It struck almost at the same instant that she realized the girl was about to hurl it. Before she could utter a sound, the raw face came crashing across the table toward her, howling. She, the girl comes after her, hit, hits her with the book. The girl's fingers sank like clamps into the soft flesh of her neck. She heard the mother cry out and clawed. She whoa! There was an instant when she was certain she was about to be hit in an earthquake. All at once, her vision narrowed. See, looking for a vision. They're looking for a vision of God. And she saw everything as if it were happening in a small room far away. Or as if she were looking at it through the wrong end of a telescope. Claude's face crumpled and fell out of sight. The nurse ran in and then out and then in again. 
Then the gangling figure of the doctor rushed out of the, in, of the inner door. Magazines flew this way and that, and the table turned over. The girl fell with a thud. Mrs. Turpin's vision suddenly reversed itself. The doctor was kneeling astride her, trying to hold her arm down. He managed after a second to sink the long needle into it. He has to give her a shot. The girl's eyes stopped rolling and focused on her. They seemed a much lighter blue than before. That's false grace, right? As if a door that had been tightly closed behind them was now open to admit light and air. And so now, and so now Mrs. Turpin sticks her face over Mary Grace who's lying on the floor looking for an apology. Don't hold your breath, right? What you got to say to me? She asked hoarsely and held her breath, waiting as for a revelation. The girl raised her head. Her gaze locked with Mrs. Turpin's. Go back to hell where you came from, you old warthog. That's not quite the apology she, she was looking for. Her voice was low but clear. Uh, this doesn't go well with Mrs. Turpin, right? Okay, so... The, um, and so the instant that she was flat on her back, the image of a razorback... This is when Mrs. Turpin goes back home and goes after this. And she lies down. The instant she was flat on her back, the image of a razor-backed hog with warts on its face and horns coming out behind its ears snorted into her head. I am not, she said tearfully, a warthog from hell. But the denial had no force. The, see, this has just shattered everything. All her whole view of the world has just been shattered. Kind of like with Holga. Everything's just had to be shattered for her to be receptive for grace to come, right? The, the girl's eyes and her words, even the tone of her voice, low but clear, directed only to her, brooked no repudiation. She had been singled out for the message. And so, uh, let's see. So they go in and she's back. And, so, and then she's she's out there now. She runs. Uh, they run a, a pig parlor. They've got some hogs on the on the farm. And she's talking. She's talking to God. What do you send me a message like that for? How am I a hog and me both? How am I saved and from hell too? Her free fist was knotted, and with the other she gripped the hose. She's out there hosing down. You know the pig pen there. Blindly pointing the stream of water in and out with of the eye of the old sow whose outraged squeal she did not hear. The eye we're thinking back of Mary Grace. She's angry that she could be so nice and be treated like that. A final surge of fury shook her and she roared, Who do you think you are? The color of, now we're getting to the heart of the story, right? The color of everything. She's, she's, she's talking about, she's mad at God, right? How can you be un, so unfair and so unjust to me? The color of everything, filled in crimson sky, burned for a moment with a transparent intensity. The question carried over the pasture and across the highway and the cotton field and returned to her clearly like an answer from beyond the wood. Then like a monumental statue coming to life, she bent her head slowly and gazed, gazed as if through the very heart of the mystery, mystery of God's grace, right? Down into the pig parlor at the hogs. They had settled all in one corner around the old sow who was grunting soft. And the old sow, kind of like her, right? A mother. A red glow suffused them. They appeared to pant with a secret life. 
until the sun slipped finally behind the tree line. Okay, it's going to be her, right? Mrs. Turpin remained there with her gaze bent to them as if she were absorbing some abysmal, life-giving knowledge. At last she lifted her head. There's only a purple streak in the sky cutting through a field of crimson and leading like an extension of the highway into the descending dusk. She raised her hands from the side of the pen in a gesture hieratic and profound. A visionary light settled in her eyes. She saw the streak of a vast swinging bridge extending upward from the earth through a field of living fire. Upon it, a vast horde of souls were rumbling toward heaven. There were whole companies of white trash clean for the first time in their lives and bands of black Negroes in white robes and battalions of freaks and lunatics shouting and clapping and leaping like frogs. One of her stories is called The Lame Shall Enter First. You know, I'm seeing that visions in there. And so it's what she's saying that all types can go to heaven, right? Where all, all types can go in this vision. In bringing up the end of the procession was a tribe of people whom she recognized at once as those who, like herself and Claude, had always had a little of everything and the God-given wit to use it right. So who's bringing up the end of the train there? She is, right? She, she In her mind, she's going to be leading the way. But now she's, okay, I got room for you, but you're the end of the line, okay? But the lame shall enter first there, okay? She leaned forward to observe them closer. They were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they had been in good order. Yet she could see by their shocked and altered faces that, that their, even their virtues were being burned away. And they're just going to shouting to hallelujah there. Okay? And so she's got, she has, she is saved and a lot of those, like grandmother, the misconceptions are burned away with things. And so it's a, it's a great revelation for her. A lot of that falseness, like with the grandmother has to take away. Now she receives grace there. Uh, you may want to look at the rivers. Uh, one last thing. It's, it's a, it's a really good story that gets over with this little boy who, uh, is, uh, just neglected kid and his parents are big party people and, uh, and so he's just, and he wakes up, you know, parents have hangovers and stuff. And, and a babysitter comes to a table, and she takes me out in the country to, and to a, a baptism. You know, the old time baptism, like in the river baptism. And so he goes, and there's a young preacher out there. And, uh, and the preacher says, you're, go, you're going to go where you count. And that, this little boy... Bevel, more than anything, he just, he just wants to be someone where he counts, where his parents care about him. I mean, when he's dressed in the morning, I'm the, dad doesn't get the coat on right or anything. And, uh, and so he's out there and he, and the preacher said, anybody else want to get baptized? And so Bevel raises his hand and so he's, he's pushed under the water and he's expecting some kind of transformation and he's just, Gets water up his nose, right? And so he's very disappointed. So he goes, he's taken back by the sitter. And, uh, and so that later, that, that, uh, later that day, he sneaks away and goes back to the river, you know, gets, rides a bus or something. And he's going and he's trying to baptize himself. He's going to try again to go to some place where he'll, where he'll count, where he'll count. And so he's going out there and trying to go under the water himself. And there's a Mr. Paradise who's got a big 
ulcer on his neck, okay? And this big candy cane. He's looking at carry, and he sees the little boy in danger. So he goes running after the little boy trying to save him. And so Bevel, who's having trouble going under, he sees Mr. Parrot. He, looks, he calls him like a warthog with a club coming after him. And so he goes under. Try, he's running away from paradise. And finally the water takes him to, to get to paradise. So it's another one of the ironic things there. So anyway, well, this has been so much fun. I have really enjoyed seeing a bunch of old students. And, and you know, poor Joss would teach me. So, you know, you got to make a closer link to religion in the Bible in here. It's just... <laughs> And he said, and he said, those ladies looking at you like their eyes like this. So I, said, I, I don't think she, Holga, didn't receive grace. I just think you're wrong. I, I said, well, how do you know that? Was, she's linked with peacocks. Yeah, but besides that, I said, that's all I've got. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's it. I just, that's what my teacher taught me there. But it's been fun. And maybe, um, Y'all like Walker Percy? Anybody like the movie? Go? Anybody interested in that maybe? Gil, Gil asked maybe if you want to do that. And, uh, I like a walker. So like he just, it's like he lived my life. You know, went to, you know, independent Presbyterian. I didn't go there, but that's, I've taught there a bunch of class, night classes there. And, uh, um, and then, uh, his, uh, his house over there near, uh, you know, Ridge and Country Club. You know where that is? Right face. His dad was like the seventh president of Birmingham Country Club. So if you go in there, you can see those pictures. There's, uh, there's his dad up there and they, uh, vacation down at Gulf Shores. I mean, when I, anybody vacate, anybody know Gulf Shores when it's just a bunch of cottages before the hurricanes blew it all away and everything? And then, uh, and then when he was adopted by his, by his cousin, they went up and spent the summers at Sewanee. I said, I'm living Walker Percy's life. Yeah, you know, it's just like it's right there. But do what? Oh, I know. I've not been there. Covington, right outside New Orleans. There, it's a good guy. Oh, and he went to BUS. I almost forgot that. Right. Well, listen. Thank you very much, Christ and Smith. Y'all all get A's, and I really love teaching. It's a lot of fun. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.